working through Core 52. It's like a devotional of 52 weeks, 52 major themes in the Bible. You can pick one up there under the, the TV in the lobby if you want one. And the idea is that you'll have 52 major themes in the Bible down. If you don't know much about the scriptures, it's a great way to get connected uh, with, with the basic themes of the Bible. Today we're going to talk about heaven. So that's the, the concept, for, that's the theme for today that we're talking through, heaven. What does the Bible say about heaven? Now I think that most of us get our ideas about heaven very early on in life from a couple different places. One would be if you grew up with a church background, whatever it may be, there are probably some ideas about heaven that you got from maybe Sunday school, maybe the church service, maybe a sermon or whatever. We learn about heaven in church if you're a part of that culture. And the other place is Saturday morning cartoons. If you're my age, you <clears throat> grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons, and you know that if uh, Bugs Bunny or um, uh, the, uh, Wiley Coyote or Daffy Duck uh, got blown up by Acme you know, Dynamite, um, they got wings and a halo and they floated up on a cloud, and, and that's, that's heaven, um, a representation of heaven where uh, even in medieval art, you see pictures of people um, on clouds floating with harps and things like that. So that's one image of heaven. And the other image of heaven, you know, it's up there in the clouds. The other image is like an eternal uh, church service. You know, we, we sing and worship in an eternal church service, and that's heaven. And as much as I think, I think Marcus does an amazing job, um, leading worship and band and singers and all that are great. I have no desire to be involved or at an eternal church service where that just goes on and on and on for billions of years. Um, I hope that's not my only option. I suppose, you know, it's better than like an eternity in fire and brimstone, eternal conscious torment, or an eternal church service. I'd probably pick the church service, but i like to believe that we'll have better options. So we're going to talk through um, what that may look like. So that's what I want to do today, is just kind of walk through some scriptures and, um, and get an idea of what heaven may be like from the Bible. So in Core 52, I noticed this week that they spent some time talking through what heaven will not be like or what won't be in heaven. And I really liked that section and thought I'd, I'm going to borrow from that and add some of my own thoughts to it. So let's start off looking at some things that won't be in heaven or this is what heaven won't be like. And from that, I think we'll get some ideas of what we may find heaven to be. Okay, the first thing is heaven will not be up there. Okay, up there. We think of heaven being up there. And it's, it's often called a three-tiered view of God, and it started many, many, many centuries ago. Some of men's, uh, mankind's earliest ideas about uh, God or the gods and, and heaven was a three-tiered view, that there's like the earth, what we walk on. There's us walking, walking around here. This is level one. Then level two is the sky and the clouds. And, and above that is heaven. That's where God is and where the angels are is, is the, the third tier of, of, of heaven, of, you know, of the heavens. And so, and, and so um, we talk about you know, heaven being up there and maybe even point up in reference to someone who has gone on before us up, up right? We go up to heaven. Well, when we look at the Bible, and then you understand where that came from, but then astronomy kind of showed us that um, you go up above the clouds and, and even a long, 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 long way, 
And it's not like there's this different existence of, of God and, and, and heaven up there, and then you know that the earth is round, so you know, is it up, is it down, is it, you know, depending on what part of the earth you're on. Uh, we've kind of moved past that uh, a little bit, <clears throat> um, but that's, that's, when we look at Scripture, we're not talking about heaven being up there. In fact, there's a very different idea about heaven. Um, and, and so let me take a quick second to say there's, there's a couple different um, ways to view heaven. Um, there's, the, there's the space um, immediately following death now, but then there's, there's a someday version of heaven as well where, where things kind of recreate. So let me, I'm going to read this to you and then I'll unpack that a little bit, okay? This is Revelation 21, very famous passage of scriptures, read at a lot of funerals. Um, Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. New heaven and new earth, because the first heaven and earth, and when we talk about heaven there, he's probably talking about the sky, because the word can be translated both ways, so earth and sky. Then I saw a new earth and sky, because the first earth and sky had passed away. I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So there is this moment that will happen where there is a new earth, a, a recreated, a new earth, and it will be that perfection, uh, that, that, that heaven state beyond death and dying and all that. So a new earth. So let's just give it a, a fake date. I have no idea. We have no idea. When, but let's just say in, in 2300 A.D. Okay, so we're all long gone by then. Um, there's this moment where there's a new earth where, where God recreates or however it happens, there's a new earth and a, a, a life beyond this earth as we know it. Where this earth as we know it is gone, it's done away with, and there is a new earth. And the Bible says that there will be a resurrection of all people and, and that, that kind of implements this, this um, uh, beginning of this new earth where Jesus is king, where he reigns and rules over this new earth. So there's that. But then there's also, in the meantime, well, what happens before that? We die and, and life goes on here on earth um, until 2300, the fictional future date. We don't know the future date when the very real resurrection in New Earth happens. What happens there? Well, there's some speculation about that. Um, one, one, um, um, one view is called soul sleeping. And, and in the scriptures, in the New Testament, when it talks about people dying, it will often say they've fallen asleep. And so some people believe that, some theologians believe that our souls kind of sleep until 2300 A.D. when this new earth happens. Um, I hope nobody listening in the future on the web you know, cuts that into a sound bite and thinks that I'm predicting 2300. Um, um, for those three people that are going to listen to this sermon someday, they're going to be really confused if they don't listen to the whole thing. So back up and listen to the whole thing if you're listening to this in the future. So there's that moment, but in, in between, 
Um, there's a view that we go to a place called paradise, or um, like this, this heavenly holding tank, and wait for that resurrection in 2300 A.D. Other people believe that our souls sleep, and then at the resurrection, we're all raised together for the new earth. Um, I suppose it doesn't really matter, because we're in God's hands until then, and, and hey, if we get a 300-year nap as a start to our, you know, heaven existence, that doesn't sound all that bad to me, it sounds kind of nice, but there's, there's heaven after we die, but then there's eternity heaven, and in eternity heaven, it is not up there, it is not out there, the scriptures say that eternity heaven is a new earth. So earth is recreated, and we have new resurrected, perfected bodies there on that new earth. Okay, so that's one um, fairly clear teaching from Scripture that is contrary to the average belief of heaven is that we go somewhere else where the truth is for most of heaven being eternal, we are raised to life. Again, this is in, this is in 1 Corinthians um, uh, 15, by the way. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks a lot about this, where we're raised, given a new body, living on a new earth, which is recreated. Jesus is Lord and King of that new earth. There's no crying or sickness or anything like that. And, and that is eternity there on this new earth. So heaven is not up there. Now, um, it's not just the New Testament that talks about this. This was always the view in Scripture. Here's what Isaiah says about heaven as well. This is written long before the coming of Jesus. So I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Now the first thing there is, will not, former things will not be remembered. It's probably God saying, I'm not going to remember all the bad behavior from before. I'm not going to remember all the sin. That's a common theme in Isaiah, that in whatever's next. Um, God's going to restore the earth, <clears throat> and he's not going to hold our sins against us and remember sins of our past, okay? <clears throat> so that's one of the ideas there, is that, is that there's going to be a new earth, and, and God will remember no more the, the problems of, of our lives in, in this earth, the sin of our life in this earth. Uh, but, but you see that this is a all-Bible theme, Old Testament and New, that heaven, future Eternity with God is actually on earth, uh, recreated, not <clears throat> like an up there thing, okay? So that's the first thing. Heaven's not going to be up there. It's going to be on a new earth with resurrected bodies. Secondly, heaven is not going to be boring. Heaven's not going to be boring. Like, this is, this is a, a concern, right? Like, what, what are we going to do for all eternity? Okay, heaven is not going to be an eternal church service. And this idea is even like I remember in college, um, it's at chapel, um, uh, we'd have various speakers from all over the country come, pastors and ministers from all over the country. And, and one of the guys walked up, and this was a common thing, walked up on stage and all of us would be aspiring ministers in the crowd or sitting there and he walked up and said, you know, Heaven's going to be an eternal church service, but we're never going to get the chance to preach because you're going to have Paul and Peter and the apostles, and they're going to take all the time in the pulpit. 
And that began my disdain for churchy, Bible, humor, quips, puns, all that. Horrible comedy. And it it happened, it was like this regular verbal assault of terrible comedy from the chapel. Because see, that's like, how many of you were raised like, okay, our little group of churches, the Christian Church, Church of Christ, non-denominational denomination, and Baptists, we have a corner on that awful churchy pun. How many of you were raised in a church culture with that awful churchy pun Okay, not many of you, so, so that means, like, I know Polaris is a high Catholic crowd. This must, the 11 a.m. must be the Catholic crowd, because in the first service, most people were like, yeah, that was my terrible. And don't start forwarding me awful church pun humor, <coughs> or I will unfriend you. I will joy, I look forward to unfriending you. That doesn't count for you, Ron Eastwood. You're grandfathered in. You've been sending me that stuff for years. Okay, you're all right. But I hate churchy humor. Anyway, I'll let that go. There was, there was one. How many of y'all are headed off to math class? You know, you know, the first multiplication test in the Bible is when, when God told Adam and Eve to go be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> that's the kind of, right, that's not funny. My Catholic friends know that it's not funny. That's why they're not laughing. That's why you guys aren't Catholic over there. You're laughing because you know how you think it's still funny. Anyway. Um... I don't even know what I was talking about. That's how ridiculous this is. Okay. Um, in terms of boredom in heaven, not going to be an eternal church service, not going to be an eternal elevation worship service. Not that that's, not, I mean, that, it's all good stuff, and I think there will be lots of worship in heaven, but there will be more than just we all stand and sing together for 8 billion years. Okay? Here's what um, Isaiah, Isaiah 65 says this. After he talked about, you know, the future heaven on earth and all that, okay? Um, They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So there's this idea in Scripture, and Jesus even talks about um, how there's um, uh, responsibilities. Like, we will be given responsibilities in heaven and adventures. There's the language of, like, adventure in heaven based on our stewardship of the things he's entrusted us with here. So, so there's adventure in heaven. There's, there's building houses and, and, and streets and, and, and eating food and, and vineyard and working the land and things that, that are meaningful work for each other, for community in heaven. It is not just, a, you know, we're not floating around with, with harps on the clouds uh, for billions of years. We're not in a billion-year-long eternal church service. There, there's... there's there's regular activity in heaven and, and joy and fun, and, and that's, that's all a part of what's built into the Bible's language about heaven. Okay, so heaven isn't boring. The next thing, and we talked about this briefly, there's no pain in heaven. 
Remember Revelation 21 says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So even though there'll be something similar in terms of earth and body, the old order, pain, death, dying, cancer, sickness, heartache, sadness, loneliness, that's all done, which is great news. That's all a thing of the past in whatever this next thing that God has dreamed up for us to be a part of. And the next thing uh, that heaven is not, and I'm going to use this word, and it's, this word's a little bit out of my league. Um, I think I'm using it in the right context, but I've got to keep things in the negative here, like what heaven's not going to be, so I'm going to try it. Uh, heaven will not be homogenous. Heaven will not be homogenous. I think I'm using that word in the right way. It's not going to be a bunch of sameness. There's going to be diversity. Here's what Revelation says about, um, about the kind of makeup of heaven. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And what I like about that, and what I find so interesting, is they're all dressed in white robes. They're dressed similar, but their culture... Their look, their language is distinct. There's something that John sees that he, when he paints a picture of heaven, uh, that of diversity. <clears throat> diversity is maintained. Not everybody is like each other. There's different people groups and different cultures. Yet, and this might be the most miraculous part of heaven, different people, different cultures, different backgrounds, but somehow, get this, they all get along. All of a sudden, they don't care how each other voted or how each other thought. They had common joy and existence surrounding the Lamb, Jesus. And that's what brought them together. All of a sudden, American politics didn't mean anything anymore. Didn't matter their differences of approach to politics and all of a sudden, all of that, poof, gone. And they were together and united around their love for Jesus. And I think that's a powerful view of heaven and a reminder that when we stand there, a lot of the stuff, I mean, if you're, if you're like lost in American politics and the future of this nation and, and, and like you're, you're just, you're, you're, I don't mean lost in a, I mean, you're, you're just can't get over the angst. Just remember that there's going to be a day when all kinds of diversity is there together and, and they're fine. All that stuff that we spend all that time stressing about, there's diversity and difference and yet everyone is united around Jesus. I think it's a pretty good view for moving forward as humans. Okay, let me go to now, um, uh, let, let's cha uh, change the language of the negative. What will heaven be like? Like, what will, what will be uh, there? And this is, this is something that particularly, like, this is a, I get a lot myself out of this. <clears throat> so this is, this is like, like for me, when I think about heaven, what I envision um, comes from, comes from uh, this language, okay? So the Bible starts out 
first few chapters with, with uh, a lot of uh, nature-esque language as it describes the Garden of Eden. Uh, the idea is that God would dwell with, with um, humans together. He would walk with them, and, and they had each other, and they had God, and they were in close community together. And it spends a lot of time in just a relatively small uh, uh, section talking about there were rivers, and there were trees, and there was fruit, and it was pleasing to the eye and good. And, 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 and so there's, there's like, like nature. It's beautiful. And... Um, and then there's a fall from that where it becomes a little bit, you know, corrupt and, and ruined. Um, the bedrock, it's still all there to see. You can kind of get a flavor. And we're going to talk that ne- about that next week, um, how it was you know, cursed and, and um, um, began to decay from the original view. But it's still kind of there to be seen like nature is still inspiring. That's how the Bible began. And then take a look at how it ends. The, like the beginning of the book was God walking with people in a natural, beautiful setting. Now let's look at the end. Revelation, the last words in the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, uh, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. Uh, They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So when we get a picture of this new earth, there's trees, there's rivers. Um, the curse is gone, which is very much language pulling people back to the Garden of Eden. What this essentially says is we're back to the Garden of Eden. Beautiful nature scenes and God walking with us and us together with each other and with God. And, and so when I think about heaven, that's why I chose this image. <coughs> in addition to the fact that it shows off our amazing new projector, um, that's what I picture. Like there's this park by our house, and when you walk through, the, the, the green um, of, of the trees kind of overhangs and creates almost a natural tunnel. And, and I walk through that most mornings, and it's just for me this imagery of like walking uh, toward paradise with God. Um, when I think about heaven, I think in terms of the nature that God has given us now, only perfected. So that's what I personally uh, would point to when, when trying to get a visual image, <clears throat> if that's possible, <clears throat> of heaven. All right, let's talk about takeaways. Um, what does any of this matter? Why is this helpful? How can this make a difference in your life? Okay, what are the takeaways from what the Bible says about heaven? Number one, <clears throat> We can pre-qualify. <clears throat> we get to pre-qualify for heaven. Jesus came because God wanted us to pre-qualify for heaven. And this is really important because a lot of people, and a lot of people grew up in church, depending on what church you grew up in, a lot of people spend their life worried about whether they're going to be good enough to get to heaven. I hear it all the time. Am I going to be good enough? I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. Like there's some cosmic scale of, of you're trying to do enough good things to compensate for spring break. Of 
your junior year in college, right? Like you got it, you did that thing and that weekend, those things, and now you got to try to do the good to get, or last week or whatever it was, you got those bad things and you hope that the good things outweigh the bad things so that you can get into heaven. So that you can be, The whole point is if you're trying to get in, be good enough to get into heaven, you can't. You're not going to be good enough to get into heaven, and I'm not because we can't do it. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't earn equality where we're all standing on the same footing as, as God, the perfection. Can't do it. That's why God sent Jesus. So here's what Jesus says. This is in John 11. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus came to bring life beyond this life. And he's the only one who came to save us. He's the only one who came to save us from our failures and bring us into eternal life. He's the only one who said, I'm coming to do it. And he's the only one who did it. Now here's what Paul says. Paul talks about the law of sin and death. This is in uh, Romans 7. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, deep down, I delight in God's law. I really want to be good and do good. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what Paul's saying is, I want to be good and I just keep failing. He calls himself wretched. That's the Apostle Paul. Like if he felt like he was a miserable, sinful failure, what hope do I have? But he says there's someone who rescues us from sin and death, and that's Jesus. See, God wants us to pre-qualify for heaven. And then he goes on in Colossians 1. He tells us how it works. This is one of the most important passages in the Bible, if, if we just had to fit everything on a note card and we would know nothing else about walking with God but what we could fit on the note card, this would be what you want to put on that note card. This is that important. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, things in earth, things in heaven, by making peace with his blood shed on earth the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation if you continue on in the hope held out in the gospel holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation, not by living perfect, but by Christ's physical body through death, because we were enemies of God because of our evil behavior. But Jesus paid the price for those sins on the cross, canceling that debt. And it's so thorough that when God looks at you, in spite of that spring break thing, he sees you as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. And it's not because you earned it. It's because Jesus paid the death penalty for you already. That's how we pre-qualify. 
through faith, we can know that we are right with God. What an incredible gift God gave us to paint this picture of someday in heaven and then to say, you can know right now by saying yes to Jesus that you're going to get to be a part of that. That makes a huge impact in dealing with the highs and lows of this life. Now the second takeaway is, Jesus came saying that, that he was bringing heaven to earth. And he encouraged all of us to think in terms of bringing heaven to earth. And what that means is we're going to do the things that God promises to do in heaven on a smaller scale as much as we can here on earth. So um, um, God comforts the brokenhearted in heaven. We can do that here. And when we do, we bring a little bit of heaven to earth. God brings justice in heaven. Well, we can try in our own way to work uh, to bring justice here on earth. God feeds the under-resourced, like all that under-resourced stuff is done in heaven. We can use our time and energy and money to help the under-resourced here now. In fact, when you follow Jesus around, you see heaven being brought to earth. I mean, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he um, uh, fed the hungry, he included the lonely, he bridged racial gaps. Watching Jesus is a picture of heaven touching earth. Now, we can't probably do it to his level. Like, I can't really raise dead people, at least I never have. But anything we can do that helps along those lines brings heaven to earth. And that's what makes life fulfilling. It's not to get anything or somehow to earn heaven, we do those things because that's a meaningful life. That's a fulfilling life. Any way we can, doing the activity of Jesus, bringing heaven to earth in our own small way, that's life to the fullest. And let me tell you something, following Jesus like that brings real meaning because there's just, like I, I love <clears throat> youth sports. I love watching my boys play baseball, always have. But that's limited life purpose and fulfillment. And I want my boys to know that the best, average, best batting average in the world, like there's more to life than that. Or whatever else we fill our lives with that can be good and fun, but real meaning and real purpose comes when we join with Jesus and bring heaven to earth. And that's the benefit of growing closer and closer to Jesus, is as we begin to truly follow him and live for the things that, that he lives for and wants to see happen, we find real meaning and real purpose greater than all this temporary worldly stuff that most people get caught up in. Getting close to Jesus and following after him like, heaven is going to be great someday, but we don't have to just check out and wait in the waiting room. There's a lot to live for now by growing close to and following Jesus. All right, let me do one last thing. We're going to do one last song. <clears throat> I want to talk with you real quick about something called benevolent detachment. It's a spiritual exercise that's been going wrong. Uh, it's been, you know, um, it's, it's happened. It's been a part of, of, of life with Jesus for hundreds of years. Um, if you've downloaded the, the One Minute Pause app, I was pushing that a few weeks ago. Um, John Eldridge uh, walks 
us through it as well. And the idea is this. You just kind of close your eyes and breathe in and breathe out. And, and you're saying to yourself, either out loud or to yourself, Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you, Lord. I give everything and everyone to you. And just a few times, I give everything and everyone to you. Because this life that we live now is a difficult life and it throws a lot at us. And while we long for heaven, we still have to live here and now. And it has been so helpful to restore my soul to just say, I give everything and everyone to you, Jesus. I give you my health. I give you my future. I give you my uh, children's health and their future. I give you my job, my career. I give you my marriage. I give you my parents' health. I give everything and everyone to you. And for me, this has been a way to kind of step out of the deafening here and now and in the heaven a little bit early with connection with God where I'm just giving everything to him. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, it lasts about a minute and a half. <laughs> and then my brain's like, oh no, you need to be worried about that. But for that few seconds to give everything and everyone over to Jesus and step into heaven a little bit early, because that's one of the things that we're going to see in heaven is we're going to be like, wow, all that worry for nothing, huh? We'll look back over our life and all that worry for yeah, God's like, yeah, yeah all that, that's why I say don't worry. All that worry for nothing. But what I want during this last song, which kind of walks through the things that we've, we've, we've um, learned in Scripture today, is for you to take that moment to close your eyes and breathe in and breathe out and, and just kind of sit and relax and, and take in the words of the song and say to yourself, I give everything and everyone to you, Jesus.